The preposition pre means before or prior. Pre-Columbian, pre-workout, preview, and a boatload of others. When looking at the ABCs of the alphabet, there's nothing before the A. There is no pre-A to the alphabet, no prior to the letter A. There's just an A. In continuing my education into Portia history, today we'll be looking at a pre of a different variety, the pre-A of the Portia 356. Welcome to Portia, never substituted. I'm your host, Will Veach, and as I stated in part one of the ABCs of the 356, Porsche didn't really have a ton of sales surrounding the early Gamund cars, and the unmet forecast didn't excite Ferry Porsche all that much. The design team and the engineering knowledge is what Ferry felt like would be the future of the Porsche company. So when the opportunity to return to Zuffenhausen arose, Ferry wasn't too keen on the idea. Porsche had been operating in Gamun since 1944 and making farm implements and assembling all the aluminum Gamun 356s, which Porsche deemed a prototype and nothing more. After the war was over, the option to move back to Stuttgart wasn't even an option, as the United States commandeered the Porsche facilities to use as a motor pool. In fact, after the release of Ferdinand Porsche in 1946 by the French government, Ferdinand stopped by the factory on his way to Austria only to be turned away at the gate and not allowed to enter the complex. The U.S. was paying rent for the facilities, at least, but the Porsche organization wasn't permitted to occupy them, and with the Gamund operation still going and some money coming in from the design department, rent, and farming, there wasn't time for Ferry Porsche to pursue the matter. The Lord Mayor of Stuttgart was a man named Arnulf Klett, and he was in charge of the rebuilding of the region that had been heavily bombed and occupied. Since Ferry was unable to attend to the matter, he turned to his schoolmate, Albert Prinzing, who was an economist and a liaison for Germany. Prinzing started to work with Arnoff Klett to try to regain the Porsche buildings, and in September of 1949, found out that the buildings might be available for Porsche by July of 1950. Prinzing, being the economist that he was, suggested that instead of just making royalties from design, mainly from Volkswagen, that Porsche should move in and start manufacturing. Investment in that type of venture would help the potential tax liabilities, and Prinzing told Porsche that, quote, something, anything, must be produced in Stuttgart as soon as possible, end quote. Ferdinand was interested in making tractors and water turbines. There was also the Gamund 356 that would be a candidate for manufacturing. But that idea was not one that the Porsche and Piesch families wanted to pursue. The idea of manufacturing a car was not popular among the families because of the risk involved, whereas design and development, well, those were the safer route. Eventually, Prinzing convinced Ferry that they should manufacture, and Ferry then convinced the rest of the family. While waiting for the Stuttgart plant to be available, Ferry moved the engineering team to what they termed the, quote, 18-square-meter factory, which was located at the Porsche family villa in the garage, and also in a room that was formerly for the family cook. Prinzing noted that, quote, when there were four of us, we'd have to move our conferences into the courtyard, end quote. Once the decision had been made to build cars, one of the biggest obstacles to overcome was the hammered aluminum bodies that were being built in Austria. The time that it took for the manufacturers to hammer them out was cost-prohibitive and not sustainable. So, the decision was made to have the bodies be manufactured by one of three coach builders. I'm not going to attempt the three coach builders. I 
couldn't get it right. But needless to say, one of them was Reuter. As the engineers were busy improving the 356-2, requests for bids were sent out to the three candidates. Reuter was a winner as they came in with the middle bid, and it didn't hurt that they were located within close proximity to the Porsche plant in Zuffenhausen. The Porsche team decided in November of 1949 that they would place an order with Reuter for about 500 cars. Porsche would then manufacture about eight or nine cars a month. Reuter had also built a few of the aluminum bodies for Porsche, but to continue in aluminum, the cost would be nearly double of what it would be if they were to manufacture in steel. So, to keep costs low, the decision was made to go in that direction and manufacture in steel. In 1949, Porsche would approach many banks to help finance the spin-up of its car company, but the banks said no, owing to the fact that Porsche wasn't even occupying its own buildings as well as really never having an established line of credit. Porsche relied on financing in the form of investment from Georg Allgaier Presswork, who was a tractor manufacturer in the area. They negotiated a licensing deal for the Type 313 tractor in November of 1949, thus securing some much-needed financial resources. The tractor investment alone was not enough to get the ball rolling, so Albert Prinzing hopped into a 356 and started visiting Volkswagen dealers in the area. Well, the roadshow worked. The cars and Prinzing convinced the individual dealers to carry the new little Porsches, and they would be required to pay for each in advance. Porsche ended up raising about 200,000 Deutschmarks, or roughly 45,000 U.S. dollars, to begin production on the steel-bodied 356. Everything was in place, with one major exception. There was nowhere to build the cars. Kind of a minor detail. The Porsche facilities in Stuttgart would not be emptied by U.S. forces until September of 1950, and Porsche did not want to wait that long. They purchased a building close to the Works 1 plant and got to work in the newly anointed Works 2 facility. After all, you didn't need a complete plant to bolt a body onto Porsche component pieces. Porsche would also change its corporate structure by making Ferry Porsche and Albert Prinzing its chief officers of the newly formed Porsche KG that, officially, would create vehicle and engine designs and development and the manufacturing of cars and other car components. There was pride in the small manufacturing group as they went about the business of building the 356. One engineer by the name of Helmut Rombold stated that, quote, We started with nothing. In the beginning, the mechanics brought their own tools and nobody asked about working hours. As additional staff was brought on, they all brought enthusiasm. If someone feels responsible for what he does, then work becomes a pleasure, end quote. There's a story that recollects the first prototype that was built in Germany and shown to an audience of engineers from Reuter, designer Edwin Comenda, with Ferry and Ferdinand Porsche in winter of early 1950. The hope from Reuter was that the prototype would be accepted so that full-scale manufacturing could get underway. The elder Porsche walked all around the car, and then he asked for a chair. Placing the chair in front of the car, Ferdinand inspected the car for such a long time that the rest of the group thought the old man had fallen asleep. Finally, Ferdinand spoke up and said, quote, The body must go back one more time because it's not built symmetrically. End quote. Stunned by what he had said, the engineers went back and measured the car. And sure enough, Ferdinand saw with his naked eye what the engineers missed. The prototype 356 was too wide on one side by less than two centimeters. 
Needless to say, the body went back. In March of 1950, the first Porsche rolled off the line. The light gray 356 in 1950 was the beginning of a great year for Porsche. Ferdinand would celebrate his 75th birthday in September, and as a way to honor him, Porsche owners from all over Europe lined up with their new Porsches in front of the castle where Ferdinand Porsche was vacationing and were each greeted by the legendary engineer. He was also presented a brand new coupe to mark the occasion. That first gray-colored car, dubbed the Windhund, or Greyhound, would make its debut at the October 1950 Paris show, sitting beside a tire and paint display with a sign that read, 1900, Porsche, 1950. Now that sign honored Professor Porsche's first show in 1900, when he demonstrated the all-electric loaner Porsche, and the new company, which now bore his name. The cars were performing much better than the initial forecast, with sales in just the first nine months nearing almost 300 cars, or 33 cars per month instead of the eight or nine that they forecasted. The cars did so well that by August of 1951, Porsche celebrated the 1,000th 356 as it rolled out of the Porsche Works 1 facility. Sadly, Professor Ferdinand Porsche would not live to see this milestone as he passed away on January 30th of that same year. The Prie would undergo some changes throughout its run until the 1955 model year when the 356A was released, and we'll talk about that in the next episode. The 1.1 liter motor was changed to a 1.3 and eventually to a 1.5, hence the names 356-1300 and 356-1500 for subsequent variations. In the 1956 model year, the 356 was officially to be known as the 356A, so technically any car before that model year would be considered the pre-A's. We can break those down into the 356-1, the original, the Gamund, the 1300 Super, which was originally called the Dame, and the 1500S. There was also the 1955 Continental that Porsche was forced to change its name to the Speedster, because of the Lincoln Continental in the United States. The Prias were the beginning of Porsche in the United States as well, when Max Hoffman fell in love with the brand and started to import them to the United States. The 356 would become the building blocks of Porsche until the 911 took over in the mid-1960s, and it continues to be a highly sought-after and collectible model. When I think of the word pre, I think of before, of prior to, but for those that own one of these pre-cars, there's nothing normally pre about them. Just a bit ahead of their time is all. Thanks for listening. Please share and tell your friends, family, and fellow Porsche lover. I also want to hear from you. I'm collecting Porsche stories for future podcasts and would love to hear how your love affair with Porsche began. You can email us at stories at neversubstituted.com. Please support our podcast by going to neversubstituted.com and check out our shop, links, and some very cool stuff, plus a preview of next week's show. Also, follow us on Instagram at neversubstituted. Special thanks to Dennis Schrader Photography in Austin, Texas. You can see some amazing automotive prints and artwork at fastlanephotoworks.com. Much of the information from this podcast is from Porsche. Excellence was expected by Carl Ludvigsen. I'm Will Beach. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope to see you again soon.